Good morning. It is a true privilege for me to be here today. It is usually very difficult to find where to begin to tell a story. But as I heard one wise man ever say, if you don't know where to begin, begin from the beginning. So that's what I'm going to endeavor to do this morning. Uh, my name is Alexander Tungbani. If you want to save yourself some trouble, just call me Alexander. Um, I was born when I was very young. <laughs> and I was born to parents that I have no doubt they loved me and they cared for me. And um, in that love, they sought what was best for me from their understanding. They are Catholic uh, parents that I had. And um, when I was born as the first son of the family, uh, my, my parents had to find out from uh, my grandfather, who was an idol worshiper, and um, an animist in his religious persuasion, they had to find out from him what my supposed destiny was going to be. And my grandfather, he um, consulted his gods and came out with the finding that I was an incarnate of one of the gods that he worshipped. And so it was wise of my parents in that situation to send me to go and live with my grandparents to be nurtured by him, to be grown by him, and then be instructed in the ways of these gods and um, ultimately to be a servant to them when my grandfather passes away. So that was my destiny, and it was sealed until Jesus Christ stepped into the equation. The community I grew up in, has a local Baptist church that was planted by American missionaries. And at the time that I was growing up, it was under national leadership and is still under national leadership till today. And I had a cousin that I was growing up with, and he um, was older than me, so he was the one that was helping my grandfather in all the responsibilities of the shrine and Finally, he got saved, and when he got saved, he had to step down his shoes because that conflicted with his newfound faith. And when he did, I was the one that would step into his shoes, and I gladly did. But then he got burdened for my salvation. He got burdened for my soul and um, invited me to church several times. I've been out there in the church just playing around with my friends, but one morning, God used a new preacher to the congregation to draw my attention to him. I went into the church, and I saw this man for the very first time. He was well-dressed as a preacher, and he was a young um, preacher compared to the previous preacher or the usual preacher that always preached at the church. And so by just drawing that interest or picked my interest, I, I sat on the front, front row and for the first time, I had the gospel preached. And that morning, I left the congregation knowing that if I died without accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I will die and I will rot forever in hell's fire. I was scared to death. I didn't want to go to hell. 
But for fear of my grandparents, for other people that were around me at that moment, I did not receive Christ that day to my shame. But God used that first gospel presentation to continue to burden my heart throughout the week. And thankfully, on the Wednesday prayer meeting, they brought the prayer meeting service to the community to be an outreach to the community. And that was the night a similar message was preached. And that was the night I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And when I got saved, the, the burden to see other people come to know Jesus Christ, the, the burden to see other people come out of not just only ancestral worship and idol worship and animism, but all other false religion like Islam, like, you know, think about it. And today, as our education system is advanced and we see in secular humanism getting into our communities. That burden has been heightened in the years as the Lord will lead my path in education to do uh, my high school education. I was going in a different direction. I wanted to be a medical doctor until God called me the year after I graduated from high school, 2018. It was a struggle to surrender to the ministry just because of family dynamics and responsibilities that I have as the first son of the family and having lost my dad in 2006. But with all that wrestling, the Lord just brought me to peace that he is calling me. And the only thing I can do to prosper in this life is to surrender to his will and not my will. And so I did. And in 2014, I went to the Bible college there in Ghana um, studied there for four years, got my BA, my junior year and senior year in college, the Lord began burdening my heart for further training. The training that I will be able to then also be able to train others for the work of the ministry. Ghana has a current population of about 31 million people. And that population needs to be rich. Only 25% of that population are evangelical Christians. And even with that, within that small percentage, there are some that are still very syncretistic. They still hold on to other worldviews like ancestral worship or other things that is not just Christianity in his exclusivity. And so that burden to see many rich for the gospel of Christ and for the kingdom of God to expand led my path to seek more training. And that led me here to the United States and um, I'm studying down in Menominee Falls. Uh, I'll be graduating next year, uh, this month, and going back home with the burden to reach many um, through evangelism, through revival meetings, through church planting. Um, I've tried to capture all that in a small video that I'm going to um, play now, and then after that I'll give some concluding comments. Africa is often called the dark continent, not because it doesn't experience sunshine or moonlight, but because of the spiritual state of its inhabitants. I am Alexander Timbani. I was born and raised in a small African village. And while growing up, I became aware of the spiritual darkness that pervaded my own heart and the hearts of the many around me. In the west coast of Africa is a country called Ghana. There are several strongholds to the gospel of Jesus Christ that exist in Ghana. First one is false religion, the false religion of Catholicism, 
the false religion of Islam and of course the false religion of animism and ancestral worship. I was raised by grandparents who were idol worshippers and when I was born they believed that I was an incarnate of one of the gods that they worshipped. And my grandparents dedicated me to the service of that god. One day the darkness in my heart was revealed when the Holy Spirit of God took the gospel light and shone it upon my dark heart of sin. And that day I left the congregation knowing very well that if I died I would go to hell because I was sinning. I was an idol worshiper and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior three days after hearing that first message. And when I got saved, the Lord burdened my heart to tell many others of Jesus Christ's salvation from ancestral worship and so many other false religions that are present in Africa. Ghana has a population of about 31 million people. And out of this, only 75 of them profess Christianity. But will you realize that out of this 75%, only 24% of them are evangelical Christians? That means that only 3 out of every 10 Ghanaians really know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The need in Ghana is still for gospel advance. The fact that there are so many people who have not yet heard calls for churches that will be planted among people groups that are not yet reached with the gospel. The burden I have is to train these churches, give them a gospel vision, give them a multiplication vision, and give them the great commission and let them understand that a great commission is possible today. The other need in Ghana is for churches that are already existing to believe in, in revival. To believe in, in revival means that they should believe in, in the life and the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross. They will have the gospel in their forefront and they will be willing to go to the next village to reach others with the gospel. There are churches who have been established, but these churches do not have the vision to reach the next village with the gospel. The ministry God has burdened me with is to go into these churches and partner with them, to train them, give them a gospel advanced vision. So it is my burden that these churches that has been planted for years, that they will be equipped, they will be given that vision to take the gospel to the next village, to the, to the next town that has not yet heard the gospel. So the Lord laid upon my heart the need for further training. And in the wake of that, the Lord directed my steps to Falls Baptist Church and to the, the training school that they have. And during my time there, God has continued to burden my heart. He has continued to sharpen the vision that He has for Ghana. He has continued to give, to give me the, the, a clearer vision and how to accomplish and fulfill the Great, the great Commission in Ghana. It is with partnership and with the support of Falls Baptist Church. And then as the Lord burdened my heart, I am receiving my further training here and then going back home. The Lord has brought me in, into partnership with Baptist World Mission that will um, enable me to go and serve, to go and accomplish the Great Commission 
with their support and with their credibility. The last need of Ghana I will point out is the need for Christians to be trained so that they can properly handle the word of God, so that they can properly give the vision that Jesus Christ gave when he gave the Great Commission. My burden is to go in and help their ministers and help the various pastors and the leaders that they have to train each member of the local church to know the reality of the Great Commission. And not just know the Great Commission, but realize that it is possible in our generation. And also to give them that vision to reach the next village. If we bring this into our churches, I believe that the next villages, the next towns around places where churches are already planted, are going to be rich with the gospel of Christ. God has called me to be an evangelist. And I am going to fearlessly preach the gospel, to witness on daily basis, to disciple those that have received the gospel, and organize them into local churches, which will also have the vision of reproducing disciples and other local churches in their cultures. I also believe that God will meet the need of revival through partnering with several churches, preaching revival truths, bringing them to the victorious Christian life by pointing them to the victory that is available in Jesus Christ. And the last need is for Ghanaians to be trained and be given a vision for gospel advance. I believe that God has called me to be a trainer of trainers, to train men and women to take the gospel from one village to another village, from one person to another person, till the whole country, until the whole region of Africa is reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you be a part of what God is doing in Ghana? First of all, you can pray. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he may send laborers into the harvest fields. I will employ you to pray for Ghana that God will raise up Ghanaians to take the Great Commission into their own hands. Then the second thing you can do is you can go. Come over to Ghana and help us. Then the last thing you can do is to partner with missionaries, equip them so that the gospel ministry in Ghana will expand. There is a very great open door in the country of Ghana that invites the gospel. It is this open door that God has called me to send the gospel to till the whole country is reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just want to take this time to point out the three aspects of my burden in Ghana. The first burden is to reach the lost. We're going to um, reach the lost in different ways, but I just want to point out one of the ways that have always proven useful in, let's say, a third world setting um, is the ministry of just village to village or town center preaching. Uh, we have had the the benefit of going into communities where we just go and tell the village chief we are these people, we are from this church, and we are here tonight 
to be able to reach out to your people. We uh, show a video, either the Jesus film, and then at the end of that time, we are able to stand up and preach the gospel freely, and we see people um, come to know Jesus Christ through that. And so many of our um, outreach churches that we have started, we have started using that uh, ministry or that means of reaching out to people. The second aspect of my burden is equipping local churches. I believe that it is not just the work of the pastor or it's not just the work of the missionary or the work of the evangelist to organize local churches. It is the responsibility of the church members to work, to minister, to serve, and to organize local churches. The pastor is the under-shepherd. And if you look at it in nature, the shepherd doesn't give birth to sheep, right? It is the sheep that give birth to sheep. And that is my burden that each member sitting in the pew will be equipped, will be trained to be able to give the gospel, will be trained to give a discipleship lesson to somebody that he or she has led to the Lord. And then the other, the last aspect of my burden is training. Once local churches are established, they need a leader. They need people that will be able to take the leadership. And I, as I said, my burden is not to plant one church and pass it for the rest of my life. My burden is to go from village to village, rich in the lost. And as these local churches are being organized, we'll be training local nationals to be able to take the leadership, and then we go on to the next place. That is my burden. There are several other things that um, I found on my display. You can come around and... Um, Ask some questions if you would, and then also please pick up a prayer card and sign up for uh, my prayer letter that is going to be just like a newsletter that I send out quarterly, and also sign up to be a prayer partner. One um, important theologian in the previous century, Ari Tori, he has said that the need of missions today is not just men, it's not just women, it's not just money, but it is prayer. I would like you to be partners in carrying this burden in prayer. So at this moment, I'll just take a couple of questions. If there are any, any quick questions from you, I'll be delighted to take those, and then we can move on. I am just beginning, so it's going to take a bit, very big miracle. That's why I need prayer partners. <laughs> so we're kind of a guinea pig. You're just getting right? Right. I, I told uh, my sending church I am not a PK, I'm not an MK, I'm just new to this whole thing. So it's, it's just going to take God. It's going to take God, and I'm confident he, he will um, show up and do the miracles that he's been doing. Yes, yes, ma'am. Do people in speak Yes and no. The yes is the fact that every person that has gone to through the formal education system has at least an opportunity to speak English. But those that have not, they um, speak their mother tongue. Um, they are, and there are several of them. There are like 40 different ones across the length and breadth of the country. Um, I, I speak, my native tongue is called Dagari. That is what uh, my mother taught me. Oh, that is what I grew up learning and speaking. 
But then I also speak another um, language that is called Wali, which is very similar to my uh, mother tongue. And then another one that is totally different from my uh, mother tongue. And of course, I am able to speak English as well. So many, many Ghanaians or many people you will find in Ghana are at least bilinguals. They can speak English and then their mother tongue. And in some cases, three or four or five languages, as the case may be. All right, for the sake of our time, I just want to challenge us um, this morning. I know Pastor is going to challenge us in the, um, great, from the Great Commission passage, and that passage is a great um, text that we always look to for encouraging churches, encouraging individuals, encouraging believers for the work of the Great Commission. But this morning, I just want, for the few minutes that we have left, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 21. And if you want to title what I'm going to speak on, just these few moments, I want to title it in a very unusual way. My title is, Mind Your Business. Mind Your Business. In this world, the world is a busy place, isn't it? And each one of us go about our business day to day. And you can say, wow, that preacher, that missionary is really snooty to have told me to mind my own business. But I want to draw your attention to what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said to one of his disciples. In John chapter 21 is the story of Jesus Christ appearing to his disciples after he, he was dead, after he was buried, and after he had even risen from the dead, these disciples deserted the business that he has called them to, to be fishers of men, the business of being fishers of men. They deserted that business and went back to their old business of fishing for ship, I mean for fish. And he comes in the morning hour. And then they saw him and they ran to him. And then he began to have a conversation with them. And in one, in, in, towards one of them particular, the leader of them, Peter. And we see the story as Jesus Christ talks to Peter. He asks him three times, do you love me? And we see Peter's response in each of those cases. And at the end of the conversation, we see Jesus Christ restoring Peter to the gospel ministry. But Peter was still not all in. He wasn't still on track. All the way, Peter was still not minding his business. And so Jesus Christ had to direct his attention to that. Start with me in verse 17. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou guidest thyself and walkest whither thou withest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall guide thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he is signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. 
Then Peter turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrays thee? Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Verse 22. And this is the verse from which I get the idea, mind your business. Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. We see in this conversation Jesus Christ was drawing Peter's attention to the big picture of the Great Commission. And Peter got the Great Commission. He really got it. He accepted the responsibility. But then he was distracted by another disciple. When Jesus Christ had told him, this will be your end, Peter. This is what is going to happen to you. At the end of your life, this is how you will end. So that the way your life will end will bring God glory. And Peter was distracted. And he said, what about him? What about John? What is going to happen to him? What is going to be his life? Can you please tell me so that at least I know what is going to happen to him too? And that is when Jesus told them, that is not your business, Peter. Your business is to concentrate on what I have told you. To feed my sheep, to feed my lamb, to be the one that I have called you to be. To be a fisher of men rather than a fisher of fishes. Mind your business, Peter. And if I may echo the the same words to us this morning. Jesus Christ has called us to a particular business. And that business is being witnesses to him. And we see the same scenario in Acts chapter 1. Right before Jesus Christ ascended, the, the disciples again were asking him, Will you at this moment restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus Christ once again will tell all of them, Mind your business. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons. Because the father has kept that to himself. But your business should be this. When you have received power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Your business will be to be witnesses for me. Therefore mind that business. And as we have been challenged over the years. The great commission is our business. And as a result, let us mind our business in accomplishing that great commission, both locally and globally. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing that you have poured down on us, the blessing of your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we are saved, the blessing of your grace that we can access and serve you through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, And Lord, the the blessing of the abiding life that you have called us to in John 15. Lord, thank you for the many other blessings that we cannot mention at this moment because there are so many. Our cup is full and is running over. Lord, may you help us that each one of us will mind our business. The business that you have called us to. Being witnesses for you while you tarry in your coming. May bless us today. 
to your glory and to your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor. What a blessing. I asked Brother Alexander how old he was. He's 27 years old. And a lot of times men usually uh, develop their emotional and maturity level at 27 to 30. It begins to develop to the place of serving and what he believes. And you can see that passion is in him. He desires to do God's will. In response to that, I have about five minutes before the, we're going to bring in a Spanish-speaking couple t- today for membership. Before they get up, I just wanted to just kind of ex- expand a little bit more on this business. When Jesus said, I must be among my father's business. Um, the book of Acts in chapter 6 uses the same word when it talks about deacons that they were to look over that particular business. It's important for us to understand that this imperative that Jesus gave his disciples at the end of his life was for us to continue. Why does the local church gather? I think really it gathers for many reasons, and he touched on that, and I I am wholeheartedly um, desiring that we could help support in Ghana, Africa. That some of us could actually go there and see what God is doing. God's not dead and God's not done. And a lot of times we think perhaps he has. We have to wear masks. We can only go to certain places. We can, you know, go ahead and say, well, we can't gather like we used to. Well, it just seems like God is not working. God is still at work. He has refocused us. We began to see a little bit through the pandemic what really is important. And focusing our attention back to the Great Commission as a church, it'll help us understand a few things. And just a few minutes, I want you to look at the verses with me again, because we're talking about the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ and this imperative, if you would, his final imperative to his disciples. Now, point this out, that some of them were doubting on what's going to happen. Even after they saw him raise the dead, even after they saw him walk on water, Peter was here at this particular meeting. Those that were actually part of the ministry with the Lord Jesus Christ were present when he was giving them the last imperative. And this declaration really was a declaration of his power. And he was saying to them that I have the power to be able to give to you so that you can continue to get the word of God out and finish what I've what I've started. The Bible says in verse number 16, and then 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now listen to this. And Jesus came and spake unto them. And what he said was, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus was conveying to them the range of his authority, if you would, that he had access to all power. The Lord Jesus Christ had that. And now he wanted to tell them, with that same power then, I will be able to give you the power to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. That the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that you would be witnesses of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God gives us that power, like the brother was saying. He gives us the ability. And you know what? There's a seriousness about this. There's a seriousness because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And I believe that there'll be a rapture first before the, before the second coming. I believe that there'll be a tribulation like none other. 
We see the chaos that's going on in, in the world today. We see that perilous times are here. We see what is going on in the streets of America because they're trying to pull the, the policemen away and they're trying to release the criminals. What kind of thinking is that? What kind of a nutcase would think that that's okay? But these are people that are in charge. And so we're asking the Lord, please open their eyes to this need of going back to the truth of the church and making sure that we as an institution of God be able to reach the lost for Christ, that we would go out into the streets, out into the, the streets of, of Madison, Wisconsin, and know that there are lost people there that need to come in so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We did that Friday night with the RU program. We did it again Saturday night with the Spanish-speaking ministry. That the Grace Baptist Church would take seriously the need and the business in this declaration of the power of Jesus Christ when he said, I have all power to be able to reach the lost and to be witnesses. It's interesting if you were to look at the passage here in these verses, verse 18 to verse number 19, it, it, it says all power, all nations, all things, always. It's inclusive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is inclusive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. And if you think it's for the next guy sitting next to you, you've missed the boat. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. Ma'am, sitting here today, Jesus Christ has given you the opportunity to believe the gospel. Sir, the Lord Jesus Christ has given you the opportunity again to receive the gospel, to be able to become a born-again Christian. Not just to know about God, but to truly know God and to have Jesus Christ walk with you. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a wonderful passion that is absolutely needed. So we see the range of it. We see the realm of it, that the Lord is powerful. It's amazing how the lilacs are blossoming now. I was able to take a little walk the other day on my son's property. We get together on Friday nights, and I took a little walk outside and walked down the fence line, and there's a lilac tree, and I got real close and just sniffed it. There's just something about lilacs that I, I just, it's, I'm fascinated that that smell could come from a flower, that it could look pretty and also smell pretty, kind of like me. <laughs> just wanted to see if you were awake or not this morning, and you are. But it's interesting as we think about this that God allows it to happen. Every spring, that lilac tree on time unfolds and points toward heaven. It's amazing to me. But that's our God. And he can take care of that. He can take care of you. Interesting as we think about it, there's so much that we could... Discuss, but I just wanted to wrap this up by giving us an understanding of this declaration of, you, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his power. And the reality is not just the realm, not just the range of it, but the reality is that it's finished. To Tetelestai, what a word, finished. The invoice has been mailed and completed with a check. The Lord Jesus Christ provided it with his blood. Done. Your salvation has been completed in Jesus Christ. Amen? That We don't have to do it ourselves. We can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I had an opportunity to step into a room at the VA this last week. I think it was Tuesday morning. 
Somebody asked me to go see a Vietnam veteran who has a week to live. I knew what I was getting into. My mask in place. I met the nicest nurses that let me go right into his room. I walked right in. I knew that God had wanted me to talk to him. And by the prayers of the person that asked me to go, I know that this man was going to listen to what I had to say. 71 years old, was in Vietnam, 72 to 74. Lived a life of looseness his whole life. 60 liters of oxygen. You can hardly hear him talk because of the sound of the oxygen being pumped into his system. Usually it's two to five, maybe. It's two to six liters. 60 liters of oxygen. He's gurgling out blood, but he's listening very intently. And I said, Randy, what is going to happen when you die? He said, I think that my spirit... And my soul go somewhere. And I said, you're exactly right. But where is it going to go? You only have two alternatives. He listened very closely as I explained a woman that came to the feet of Jesus in Luke chapter 7. And after about a half an hour, 35, 40 minutes, Randy bowed his head and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to forgive him of his sin. And he said, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Randy, when he passes, is going to heaven, and I'll see him again. I don't care how weary you get. I don't care how insignificant you feel. The gospel still needs to get out. People still are looking for hope and help. To be honest with you, I sat outside of his room just for a few minutes, and I was thinking, God, can you save this man without me? Yes! But how is he going to hear unless someone speaks? And direct him away from his religion, away from his own thinking, into a relationship with Jesus. Someone must open their mouth. As I was thinking afterwards, and I walked to the car, I took off my mask, and I was heading to my car, and the tears came because this man truly had his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life forever. It was interesting that morning I was reading the devotions in Charles Spurgeon and it was talking about how that Jesus will never let you go. And he will never let you release your hand. And I thought about that song, Oh, the love that will not let me go. I think it was David Phelps. I put it on. I found somebody singing it and I thought this was a good enough version of it. I can't find that song because it's kind of hard. It's like an older hymn. Oh, the love that will not let me go. Let me tell you something, dear saint of God, he will not let you go. And if you try to get away from him, you will be of much sorrow and much affliction. But he'll bring you back. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking there was a day when I was closer to God. There was a day when I had a passion for Christ. But now I'm away from him. He will not let you go. He will whisper in your ear, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. And if you depart from him, it's because you have done that. He's done everything to hold you tight and to keep the reins close. I want to encourage you. Let's have an invitation. If God has worked in your heart, I want you to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment this morning. I know we have other business to take care of, but the most important business is your soul. And maybe you're sitting here today and you say, I've never received Jesus I know who he is, but I've never received him. I've always rejected him because I think 
I have it together. But now this morning I realize that I need Jesus Christ in my life. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forward. Maybe you Christian, you've already had Jesus Christ in your heart. Maybe you already know him, but you've been distant from him. Then the altar is for you too. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. I'm going to pray when I'm done. The invitation will begin with the piano. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.